Hello, hello, and welcome to the Generosity Freak Show. Brady's been out on the road this week teaching a workshop on email fundraising at the HubSpot headquarters outside of Boston, and he's been speaking at the Classy Collaborative Conference. So needless to say, there hasn't been time for a brand new interview this week, but we're kicking it back to an older interview with Stephen Screen from the Better Fundraising Company. Stephen is a fundraising veteran. In fact, he's actually a second-generation fundraiser, so you may say he was born to be a fundraiser. And in the interview, he shares from his years of experience about how important your offer is, he talks about how to create an offer that inspires donors to give, and he touches on what seems to be really a contentious topic today, is direct mail dead? And spoiler alert, it's not. So without further ado, here's the episode with Stephen. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. I said, Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Oh, welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go. It's just another Freak Show, here we go. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for coming on the pod. Brady, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure, and I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, me too. It's funny when we were chatting right before. Just we've we've known each other for years through my mom, uh, but never really known each other. And so finally, we get a chance to to connect and chat. Yeah, that's right. I uh, I think the world of both your parents and got to know your mom in a professional setting where uh, I was very honored that at one point she named me an honorary Canadian. Uh, and and, and uh, that, that, was because, that was because, and this is a quote, I was overly polite for an American. <laughs> I like the caveat of for an American, though. Yeah, right? So the, the benchmark clearly is low. Uh, but I exceeded it. So we'll, we'll take that as a compliment, but anyway, yes, it is. Uh, it is, it's, it's great to, great to get to talk to you and, uh, what a fun connection. Well, and if you guys pull out of NAFTA, then your honorary status will be pretty useless (laughs) though. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a whole different podcast. Let's not go there. Okay. Moving on. Yeah. Uh, Good move. Good, good hosting. Good hosting. Yeah. There you go. Uh, well, in doing a little bit of a research, um, I saw that you're a second generation fundraiser, and I don't think I've ever seen that in someone's bio before. Uh, tell me about this first generation and uh, what impact that had on you before uh, before telling us what you're doing now. Yeah, the so my my dad started doing fundraising uh, in the early '60s and was part of a sort of cadre of people who were some of the first to do fundraising at a national level using mass media for some of the emerging uh, nonprofits and parachurch organizations. Um, and, and sort of like origin story stuff got to be part of the creation of child sponsorship wow. uh, as, an, as an offer. Uh, and and uh, my, my, my dad and all of his guys tell all these awesome stories about what fundraising was like in the 60s and 70s when they were pioneering TV shows and, and, wow. and stuff like that. And so, and then my dad had a, uh, had a, an agency that helped big national organizations. And so I grew up hearing about 
um, sort of donor centricity and uh, what what a, what a fundraising offer is and what are we trying to do here? Mm-hmm. Now, all of that stuff. And I didn't know it at the time, but right, I was sort of marinating in some of the first principles of what I think makes an effective fundraiser. So I was really fortunate to grow up. Um, yeah, to, to grow up hearing about that stuff. Yeah. Well, and uh, you've got an inter- interesting perspective because I always like telling people who've been in the fund or asking people who've been in the fundraising industry for a long time, like yourself, you know, what have you seen change in your career? But, you know, you could maybe extend that to, you know, when you were a kid and what you saw through the lens or eyes of your father. But, uh, you know, what what have you seen change in the last you can go back to the 60s in your father if you want, or even just in your own career yeah. uh, in this world of philanthropy and fundraising? Oh man, the 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 short line is not a fun one because it's everything is harder. Hmm. Uh, attention is fractured. There's you know 150 channels instead of three hmm. uh, on TV, right? Uh, you you used to so for instance we do some donor acquisition on television and you used to have to have a good show with a good offer and, and a good phone bank. And now you have to have all of those things, except you have to have a great offer and you have to be really good on the web. Mm. And that's just illustrative of there are all these other things now that you have to take care of to handle where all of your audience is and all the ways they interact with you. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's harder Absolutely, right? There are ways to communicate with uh, donors to show them the impacts of their gifts and show the need uh, that are sort of mind-blowing to someone uh, 10 or even uh, 10 years ago, let alone uh, 40 years ago. So it's it's harder, but I'll also say that I think some of the main stuff hasn't changed Let's see, sorry, I've got a got a cop car going by the office. Um, <laughs> as long as it's not for you, we're all right. No, no, it's uh, well, uh, as far as I know, well, yeah, you never hear loud knocking on the door. <laughs> that's right. If you hear loud knocking and a pregnant pause, let's not air this thing. <laughs> no, the the uh, I mean, I, I think were, were I to go on a get off my lawn, been doing fundraising for. 20 plus years rant, it would be that a lot of people have sort of forgotten the core power of the mm. offer. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there is less in fundraising of, Hey, here's this amazing thing at an incredible price point that you can do for someone. And there's more of a, Hey, join us. Mm. Mm. And, and I, I think that has made a lot of fundraising uh, less powerful. And it, it for for the organizations that do a really good job of that uh it creates an incredible opportunity because i think the organizations with with great offers and really clear uh fundraising communication are doing great right that's that's They're actually a really great. interesting point because i i know one of the struggles that, that i've had uh, especially working with say younger nonprofits or younger leaders within the fundraising space is there is this great sense of um you know, community and community building and it's us together. And, and that's where I think a lot of this partner and join us language kind of comes from. I, I think it comes from a nice spot, but on totally the, agree. on the fundraising 
side, especially when you get into more, you know, direct response. And, and we ran this test, like it, it doesn't it doesn't help. It, it actually muddies the water more than uh, clears the water. Right. Yeah. 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 It's uh, I mean, it's 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 hard to it's hard to communicate the importance of the offer and exactly what you're asking the donor to do with their dollar. Uh, that's a really, really big deal. And generally speaking, doing something really powerful for a beneficiary at a price point that seems like a good one is a much more compelling ask than uh, join us or partner with us or we're all in it together. Right. Right. And, and, and right, I, I think you and I both have the data uh, that shows that. Yeah. Can those two things kind of be combined, do you think? You know, have this maybe overarching sense of, you know, we're on this march for justice or we're we're in this together and then you go into the, but, you know, this is how you can contribute by, you know, doing this and then you provide the offer. Uh, can you kind of combine those two or is it a little bit more like, you know, you got to kind of choose a path and stick on it? I think I think you can combine the two. Uh, but it the the real choice is where what you're going to emphasize right and um uh, m- my advice and my experience has been to emphasize a good offer and that the we're on a mission together or we're all in this together or whatever and i'm, I'm not meaning to be pejorative about those things those things matter but they're just like the fifth or sixth most important thing mm. Hmm, there are a small handful of things above those things that you should say first and then add those in, right? They're, they're like spices that make the, can take the thing over the top, but they're not the main ingredient. Right. So how do you, how do you go about uh, like maybe the, the process of creating a, a great offer or um, creating that kind of narrative that you would be communicating on behalf of a client or a, or a nonprofit and trying to raise funds? Yeah. That, so th- that, is probably the best question maybe ever to any nonprofit. Right. Because just because offers are so important. Um, and, and, and uh, this isn't, this isn't mm-hmm. super fun either, but right up front uh, creating offers that are good are really hard um, right. for a bunch of different reasons. That, that would be a, that, that right there would be, you know, an hour long podcast. But right. I, 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 I generally start with sort of two things. Number one, uh, when you're looking at an organization, part of what that organization does is almost always more compelling than all that the organization does. Mm-hmm. So we sort of start with that understanding that, like, I'm going to go look for some shiny, emotionally powerful, easily understandable part of what an organization does and then try to hang a price point on that yeah it's a great point and yeah that's so that's where i start and then um i mean there are it, there are a bunch of different ways to skin this cat but in, in my book there's sort of four main elements to a uh, fantastic offer Num- number one is a human-sized problem that's easy to solve uh, number two is uh, a solution to that problem uh, that's easy to understand. Mm. Number three is the cost of that solution 
seems like a good deal. And number four is there's uh, urgency or uh, what we call uh, negative consequences to not giving. Mm-hmm. In other words, something bad's going to happen if we don't act now. Right. And and so as 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 we come up with offers, we're always looking at it through those sort of four lenses to see if it it passes all all that all those tests. And uh, I mean to, to to give an example that takes just a moment, but sort of the Tiffany's example of this, the Michael Jordan of offers, is the dollar ninety two feeds a hungry homeless man at Thanksgiving. Right. All, all these rescue missions uh, all over North America have 19 different programs serving 19 different audiences doing 19 different things, but they know that that part of their work is the most interesting and most understandable to the most amount of people. Yeah. And so yeah. they, they raise, they, that's the one they tout and then they raise on, they use it to, they do the things they need to do to raise undesignated funding and it lists the boat for all 19 programs, yeah. even though they're only highlighting one. And that's actually a really good example because it's one that is actually um, we ran into with a with a client who specifically said uh, the first year we were working with it, we don't want to do the dollars per meal homelessness kind of thing because it oversimplifies the problem and it oversimplifies our work. Right. I'm sure you've heard that from clients, but that's not all that we do. Right. That's the thing that they're yeah. saying. And and yep. for me, like the need to simplify is a key component, regardless of what the offer is or almost regardless of what you're doing. Like everything can be simplified more. But then it's also that position of um, it's it's not about you. It's about the donor. Right. And if they won't understand the complexity of who you are, well, then they're not going to give. They're not going to read. They're not going to get engaged. And then they learn nothing. So you need yeah. to communicate in a way that makes sense to them. And we kind of had to this battle. And finally, last fall, we were able to kind of win them over to being able to quantify and have a bit more of an offer. And uh, But it was just interesting that you use that example because it's it's one that exactly came up. So when they say that, you know, it's not – do you just basically say, like, do you want to raise money? Then do this. Or how do you handle that kind of discussion? Yeah. Well, I mean, so, I mean, for me, this is sort of – fundraising nerdery, but this is how my head works. Baked, baked into most clients' responses to this is a an assumption and sometimes an organizational goal that they need to educate their donors. Mm. And then the assumption is that if they are educated into all that we do, they will <laughs> understand more and they will be more interested and they will give more. Mm-hmm. And that basically never works except for a small subset of major donors and some, you know, institutional uh, foundations. Right. And, and they 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 need to sort of set that aside and go. No, no, no. I don't. I don't need to educate people. I want to engage people at the at the level where they're at. So, so we often talk about fundraising. Really good fundraising is almost an act of translation mm. where you're taking complex problems of relief and development and simplifying them down so that your grandmother can go, oh, I'd like to help somebody. And then from there, if, the, if your grandmother is interested, she'll learn more about the complex problems that you're solving and uh, yeah. all that you do. But you've got to start somewhere. And you, you cannot 
make education about your organization or cause a tax a donor has to pay before they can give a gift. Mm. Yeah, I like that language. So, so yeah, yeah simple. Simple yeah, always wins. We, um, we, I, I talk a lot about layers. Like, great, this is very complex. You got all kinds of things you want to say. It's not that you can't say them all. Sure, go ahead. You know, have your PhD level research document available and handy for a donor. But that's, you know, page seven on the site that they're going to have to dig and crawl and find or request yeah. from you. It's not the thing yep. that you make them read first, <laughs> you know, to complete your donate page, yeah, uh, which I, right. which is kind of, you know, what we're talking about. And then even, even as you were talking about the offer there uh, and how it's really, really working, I think, um, you know, even just thinking about the, the success of an organization like Charity Water, which I talk a ton about, and you just take a step back and maybe use your like nerd fundraising nerdery lens or whatever it is that you called it. And fundamentally, of course, it's beautiful site and they do cool things, but that offer is just really, really, really strong. Yeah. Yep. And, and you, you look at, you look at the places that have really, really strong offers. Excuse me. You look at the places that are really, really succeeding Mm. and they almost always have really strong offers or they have a couple of sort of natural advantages. Right. Right. Um, like, so for instance, natural advantage would be if you have a nonprofit that focuses on cancer. Well, we know that a couple hundred thousand people are going to wake up with cancer, uh, a cancer diagnosis tomorrow. They're going to go look on the web. Their, their, their nephew's going to want to make a donation in, in aunt's honor, yeah. all that stuff. But for the organizations that don't have that kind of built-in audience or benefit, Mm-hmm. It's the ones with offers that really tend to make it sing. The again, so to go back to the thing that I learned really, really early in my career was I was taught something called the forty forty twenty rule, and uh, the, basically said in any fundraising expedition that you're doing, forty percent of your success is based on your audience, forty percent of your success is based on your offer. And 20% is based on your creative. Hmm. So for the first 40% you're offering, meaning are, are, you, are, you, uh, are you talking to current donors or are you talking to people who have never heard of you before and don't care about you? Right. Okay, well, so, right? Easy. Your offer, what, it, what are you asking the donor to do with their dollar? Hmm. And then the creative is basically how are you asking them to do it? Right. And I think most charities today tend to think far more about the creative, yeah. which is, as I was taught and have basically found to be true, half as powerful as what you're asking them to do. Yeah. Ooh, this is kind of like blowing my mind a little bit because different pieces are coming together of just where, where even I'm at. And, um, you know, so we run a digital agency and I think we, uh, we very much get put in the creative bucket, even though we do strategy and things like that. But, you know, we're basically hired to execute the creative. And then we kind of inherit an offer that's already been created, whether it's from the organization or whether it's from a direct mail provider that we were working with or some other consultant. Uh, and we were chatting about this a little bit before we got on. But, you know, yeah, that 20 percent, we can crush that 20 percent, but we can only really affect it, you know, that 20 percent. The other. 80% comes from those other things that, you know, we as an agency don't control of. And I think you're right. People spend way too much time thinking about, uh, well, maybe not way too much, but disproportionate amount of time thinking about how the website looks and maybe even how it acts and, you know, user experience, which is super important. 
but you can have a real slick user experience that people don't care about and <laughs> it's not going to matter. So yeah. You know, yeah. That, that right. The, the, the sort of the, the silly example that I give is like, are you trying to raise money for the Burmese mountain goat or for a hungry kid down the street? Right. Two, two different offers. Which one's going to do better? We, 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 we know this. Mm hmm. And and so you got to go find the best offer available at your organization and be comfortable with the idea that as you roll that offer out, people are not going to know everything that you do. Yeah. They're going to know part of what you do powerfully. Yeah. And that tends to, in my experience, uh, gets you a lot more uh, new donors and donors staying around for longer. Yeah. Well, the other key benefit of having a, a strong offer, I think, is that it gives you something to then kind of report back on. And I know that's a key component of, you know, your guys' methodology. Of, um, but, you know, if you go out there and like partner with us and it's very vague and generic, well, then six months down the road, when you want to come back and say you're helping us, like, what do you what do you communicate in terms of how you're helping? Where if you're specific and say you're helping like and again, this is the, a little bit of the secret sauce for Charity Water and some of these organizations They'll tell you how much you need and what well in which city and which country it's going to. And then nine months later, they'll give you a photo of that well in that city in that country that you contributed to. And you go, oh, yeah, this is my dollars at work. But you can't do that without a specific offer. Right. Yeah. Right. And and I mean, here's this is sort of deep into my thinking about this, but you just illustrated why I think that we have such a big retention problem mm -hmm. in the mm. fundraising industry is, is because, because we don't have specific understandable offers. It's really hard for organizations to, in a compelling ways, tell their donors that their gift made a difference. Right. And a, a gift, a gift is different than a purchase, right? If I, I, if I buy a computer, a car, a pair of pants, a meal, whatever, I get the thing. I know if it was good or not. I know if I would buy another one, but when you make a charitable donation, you get only the organization's communications mm -hmm. plus a hit of dopamine that makes you feel good for several seconds. Uh, and so we don't, as donors, you don't know if your gift made a difference or not. So when charity water comes back to you and sends you the Google, uh, a link to Google Maps to where you can see your well, your gift just got made real. Yeah. And they're one of uh, several thousand charities that can make your gift real. Yeah. So what happens the next time you're thinking about giving a gift? You give another one to Charity Water because you right. know that your gift made a difference. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I, that's, that's that's deep in the weeds, but I, uh, I think you're picking up what I'm laying down. Yeah, no, for, uh, I think I... I I've understood the importance of the offer, but I think maybe even just discussing it a bit with you is just really understanding, like, I haven't um, fully understood the extent of the importance of of how valuable that actually is. And uh, I'm, I'm like writing down notes, like, must work on our offers more. <laughs> and even, <laughs> you know, the the simplifying in those, in those four tips, which uh, I'll be sure to write about and uh, have them in the show notes and things like that. Um, that, that's great. Like that, that's fantastic. And, um, you know, I, I don't think there's a lot of people helping nonprofits figure that out or maybe it's getting better, but, um, mm -hmm. 
I don't even remember in grad school learning a ton about really crafting a strong offer, you know, and I went to grad school to study fundraising and I don't remember that much. And maybe it's because it was a long time ago, but um, yeah, it seems like such a key, key component that maybe we miss. Yeah. Well, so, so my, uh, my friend and mentor and instigator, uh, Jeff Brooks, Mm. he, 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 I have this theory that, Create the creation of offers and the importance of offers are the only people who you hear talking passionately about them are like the grizzled ancients in the fundraising world. And it's, <laughs> are you a grizzled ancient? I don't know. Well, I'm 45, but I'm graying, so uh, <laughs> I don't know. But the the it feels like this sort of thing that these guys discovered 40 or 50 years ago, and it just didn't get passed along. Right. And maybe it was one of those things that was so important, you you think everybody knows about it. But with the massive explosion of the number of nonprofits, I don't, I don't know the Canadian numbers, but there uh, there's 1.5 million nonprofits in the U.S. that doesn't include churches, synagogues, uh, mosques, places of worship. And that's basically one for every 300 people. <laughs> and there are people working in all of those. Yeah. So that's a that's a massive number of people with and CFRE training is good, but anyway, I just think that this sort of idea and skill got lost. Yeah, uh, because because well, I mean, listen, uh, we have an organization that this week they had uh, one of their annual events uh, last year. They raised two hundred thousand dollars with no offer. This year, we we came up with an offer for them, and effectively the same group of people they raised three hundred and fifty thousand. Yeah. And it was just, it was the same event, same topic, same exact video. Wow. But we had an offer. And so it was not join us as we do X, Y, and Z. It was, hey, you can do X, Y, you can do X for this amount of money. Um, and anyway, that's, that's the power that we see again and again. So yeah. I'll, I will happily shut up about this, but I, it's a no, big deal think, that I really I want people to know. I think it's really important, and I wonder if maybe that um, the grizzled ancients, as as uh, they went on in their careers, maybe, and then maybe they moved up in the organization, or um, I think a lot of that is done maybe at the one-on-one major gifts level, perhaps, where people are cognizant of how do I position an organization in a real way that's meaningful to this person that I'm going to have coffee with or something like that. Mm-hmm. But that, that kind of care and understanding of values and offer maybe didn't make its way down to, you know, the annual giving coordinator or the communications person. And they're the ones who are sending emails and managing the website and maybe kind of got lost along the way. Uh, but I, I think you're right. Like when you sit down and think about it, of course, that stuff's really important. But when you do look out on the market and um, uh, some friends partner uh, at an organization called Next After, they did a study on value proposition, which is essentially, you know, the offer and it's it's a woeful study if you read it of just how poor um the value proposition is in position like you can't even find it on a lot of organizations and so we've kind of we've kind of launched it so i'm re-inspired to um to sing the praises and and rally people to the cause of the offer so there you go yep it's it's uh it is a really big deal and i i would love to can you can you put the 
the the next actor thing, like a link to it in the show notes or something. I would yeah. love to see that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really it's really cool research. Um, so now a lot of uh, a lot of your experience with offers and some of the the tests uh, in your grizzled time in the sector and in the industry, a lot of that has come from the direct mail side. Is that true? Yeah, correct. That's uh, that's uh, direct mail and TV are where I cut my teeth. Right. So I hear this all the time, especially with young nonprofits and startups uh, or younger fundraisers who just, you know, hate direct mail or don't understand it or, you know, maybe for this direct mail is dead. Uh, What do you say to that? Well, um, (laughs) the snarky side of me says I'm thrilled they think that because they'll leave my clients donors alone (laughs) and we'll raise a ton of money from them. Uh, but the, the, the more compassionate, <laughs> inclusive part of me really, really wants people to know that, uh, direct mail is alive and kicking and hard, but an incredible vehicle to, to, to speak to and communicate to donors with in a cost effective manner. Right. And I mean, so just, just two, two really quick stats. Uh, number one, average donor in the in the U.S. It's probably a little different in Canada, but it's not materially different. Is a 69 year old female. Hmm. Average. She's at the top of the bell curve. There's a whole lot of people over on the right. Right. Um, that's idea number one. Uh, idea number two. Right. According to uh, Blackbaud, the maker of Razor's Edge, the 2015 giving information just came out, and it's something like 92 percent of all gifts were made offline. Mm-hmm. So no, knowing that the average donor is more likely direct mail responsive uh, than email responsive um, and knowing that she's older than we think she is, uh, that right there should should tell you that you should probably be using the mail. Yeah. There's a lot more to that, but those the two really two really good stats to help make that point. Yeah, I hadn't heard the um, average age uh, 69 female. That's, that's a good one. I have heard the majority that comes in offline and, you know, online givings around nine, 10% uh, of all. Yep. And now a, a portion of that as the digital guy, I'll play a little de- devil's advocate here. Uh, I mean, a little bit of that is if you're, if you're dropping a million bucks, you know, you're not putting it on your credit yeah. card, right? There's totally, a, totally agree. So there's a difference between where people interact and, and where they transact. Um, yep. and, but I think, um, it goes the other way. For example, I really like getting mail from causes that I, I support because I don't tell anyone, but I don't get that much mail from charities because I sign up for emails uh, and I never give through the mail. I'll read your newsletter then I'll pop online and give to you and I'll get coded, you know, as online donor. And maybe you'll stop sending me mail because I never give through the mail, but I, that's one of the best ways to get a hold of me because I get so many emails and I actually don't get that much mail. Uh, so there's these misconceptions, I think, on both sides of the value of digital or the value of direct mail and um, yeah, yeah, who does and, it or not. And the, so you, you hit on a ton of really good points in there, but the the, the smart fundraisers are doing both, right. period. Yeah. They're doing both. Um, because uh, so the latest uh big agency study that I saw was that something like a third of the gifts um, uh, created by any campaign uh, are that is in the mail 
are realized online. Hmm. Meaning, right? If you if you drive a if you if you send out a piece of mail that drives ninety nine gifts, thirty three of those come in at your website. Right. Presuming your your website's good and easy, and the offer that's in the mail is the same one that's on your website, et cetera, et cetera. But the, these these two things are tied up, and they're getting more tied up. And you, there's uh, being being good digitally is a necessity. The the stats in that Blackboard report are that uh, I'm going to get this like 95% right, but uh, online is growing at something like 12 to 14% a year. It's going to reach parity with offline giving. It's something like 2024, presuming the the current trend goes for the next uh, eight years or whatever. Mm. That's right. that's that's great, um, but it, it means that uh, direct mail is still a thing and will continue to be a thing for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and and I 100% agree. Like I, I don't love running mail programs, but I understand their value and importance. What about if you're a startup nonprofit or maybe a young nonprofit who doesn't have, you know, a large file and you don't have a history of doing this? Um, but and they're asking the question, like, you know, should should we really be sending mail or if so, you know, how do we do it? Or should we be investing in mail? So not just sending letters and the occasional appeal, but really investing in it. Do you work with many startups who run into that question of younger nonprofits? And how would you advise them on the the to direct mail or not to direct mail question? Yeah, so uh, great question uh, that's facing a lot of organizations today. And uh, if, if the, the stock answer is, if you've grown pretty well thus far, online only and networking, keep doing that and get better at it. And add mail to at least your major donors. Mm. Uh, right? I... I um, I talked to three clients this week who uh, 95% plus of their giving was coming from less than 10% of their donors. And those donors, statistically speaking, are going to be more uh, male responsive than email responsive. Mm. So take the time and money. It is absolutely worth taking the time and money, even if you've never done it before, to send direct mail to those folks. And then if that is a good investment for you, for instance, so say you're doing a year-end campaign and, and you, 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 you send out your first letter and it goes to your majors and you raise, you, you know, you raise $10,000 and you spend uh, 1000 for it to go out, great. Uh, next year, do two letters and do it to your majors and maybe your midst. Yeah. And, and so just sort of keep testing to see how far you can go uh, money-wise into your file. Yeah. But mail your majors. Yeah, that's a good tip. Because, again, I do think that there is the hesitation. And, and you know, when I advise um, startup charities or, or younger organizations, um, I say invest in digital, but do direct mail. So maybe similar advice, but different phrasing, like you should send mail, whether it's, you know, welcome packages or at year end for a key campaign or to, to your majors, which is a great, and your mids, maybe like do direct mail, but where you'll probably get the most benefit from now, you know, in the future is, is really investing extra time, energy, resources, expertise, et cetera, um, is, is probably on the digital side. Again, that's a stock kind of tip. Um, 
not an actual stock tip, but it's like out of the <laughs> <laughs> generic tip. Um, but also events. I, I, I'd be interested in, in, this isn't in the show notes, but, uh, I'd be interested in your take on events. Cause I've seen them be hugely, hugely, um, beneficial for young growing organizations to yeah. get some, yep. some eyeballs and some mind space and some community that you would have to pay, you know, tons and tons of money to get, uh, in the in the direct response world, online or offline, have you seen that as well on the events side of things? Yeah, yep. Um, and uh, events events can be so helpful. Uh, you don't want them to be. Well, let, let, uh, let's see. The it's unlikely you want an event to be your only or main source of fundraising for the year. Right. You you want to have an, an ongoing stream of relevant communications, and so the event is a big bump, but not sort of the only rock in the jar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the uh, I mean the, the other thing that I will mention actually two two things because one is from this week. Uh, at the event, have an offer. Mm. Don't don't have it be. Hey, here's everything we're doing. Join us. Right. Uh, you 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 can do fine that way, but in our experience, you will raise the most if you come up with a specific offer that hey, you know has those four variables: a problem, solution, uh, seems like a good deal, and there's a reason to do it now. Um, do that, and then curate the whole event to lead up to that delivery offer delivery. The story that you tell at the event should match the offer. The mm-hmm. thing that is the first thing out of the ED's. Uh, mouth when she gets up to speak should be about the offer. Mm-hmm. Uh, the offer is more important than the organization, than its methods, than its credibility. It's the offer. Um, so uh, th- there are lots of other things to events, but the other thing I want to mention mm-hmm. is this silly little tactic that we're that is going great for our clients, which is um, moments, as in minutes before the event starts, send out an email to your file. Have it come from the ED. I mean, and right, you, you can do whatever you need to to make it come from the organization, but have it look like it comes from the ED. Right. Have it be in plain text if you can, so it looks personal. And have it say something like, I am walking into our event. It's starting in just a couple minutes. I know you couldn't make it today, but I still wanted you to, get a, to give a chance to give and then state the offer and give a couple of buttons. Huh. And... Oh. Um, an organization that we worked with uh, did one of those this week, uh, and it raised uh, sixty-five hundred bucks, and that was six thousand five hundred dollars and found money. Yeah, and it obviously varies depending on the size of your email file, but sure, of course, it's a bad assumption that the people who couldn't go don't want to give. Yeah. Well, that that tactic works on a on a few different levels if, if you kind of unpack it and obviously like the personal side we ran that test a bunch of times and it's not always 100 percent conclusive but for the most part a uh, stripped down personal email outperforms the most beautiful email you can imagine when it comes to fundraising um yeah but also a lot of people said that a lot of people would would want to go to the event but circumstance prevented them so it's not like a i'm i'm not choosing it's not like they chose to not go it's like they're out of town and things like that um, yeah. it gives them a chance, but then also this, this idea of community where we talked about, you know, it's not more important than the offer, but, um, 
I think that's a big thing with events is that there's a physical event where a lot of people that they maybe know or they at least have some shared values because they support the same organization are meeting together. And I think this social connection aspect, you know, you start tapping into that a little bit and maybe there's a little guilt too, like I'm missing out or I'm not there and I should be. Uh, but that's a, that's a really good one. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to use steal that one. Yeah, that's, that is, that's part of our sort of set of tactics that we recommend people do. The the other one being a letter to everyone who didn't go to the event. Right. Um, that tends to work well as well. Uh, it's hard, it's and, hard at the time, right? When she's walking on the stage though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, don't but open this like, mail until 7 PM on this date. <laughs> But I'm so glad you said the thing about um, uh, stripped down emails performing well or better, because that's a that's a thing. And and it emphasizes a sort of a bigger picture point, which is people are looking for real communication about needs that they can meet and help that they have given. And when it feels a little bit more real, even if it looks junkier or not as good, it's often going to perform better because it's hitting the donor where they're at as opposed to sort of wandering into more marketing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it feels yeah more personal. I don't think that, I don't think the majority of people literally think the ED is handwriting a lot of those emails as much as we can try to make them look that way. Um, I think it's just, there's less um, barriers to engage. Um, and then I know on our side, even just creating it, it's nice because there's no footer with a bunch of crazy links that you have to worry about. You don't have to figure out, okay, how does this image communicate? You know, you're just, it's just down to words. And so if we're just trying to communicate that offer, um, we can it's in the most simple, direct way. And it just strips. It's similar to like creating a donate page. You should have no more than maybe 10 total possible links on that whole page. You know, you're just removing distractions and focusing people in, um, and especially on the digital side, there are so many distractions, you know, things yeah. you can click on things, so many tabs open. And so the, the more that emails and landing pages and things like that can just be real, real stripped down, real simple and not have too many distractions. It just helps people engage with the content and then they can make the decision whether they like it or want to support it or not, but at least they'll yep. connect with it as opposed to Ooh, what's this. And then they're gone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that can't be overstated either. It's it, the the whole sort of feels real as opposed to feels like marketing mm-hmm. um, is a is a big deal. Yeah, and a lot of times we get obsessed with having it look perfect, uh, and uh, you know that's that's why a lot of people say that um, ugly design tends to win in direct mail. Uh, as long as it's clear, because you're trying to get attention and everybody looks perfect. And when everybody looks perfect, what good does perfect do for you? Right. Yeah. I was just having that discussion with uh, some designers this week because we were trying to theorize if if that applies to digital or not. And if it does, um, what does that look like? <laughs> you know, because uh, that, that's fascinating. What a great discussion. Yeah. And I, I don't I don't think we ended in a real um uh, clear point, but I think where we ended up was that the expectations of say uh, professionalism or or design um, are higher when it comes to website than say maybe a letter that you're receiving in the mail or a package. Um, so there's a certain expectation that's there, and then um, there's certain things that you 
you should never have be um little janky and it would be this way on yeah. a on a direct mail piece like you wouldn't intentionally make the reply card really difficult to read or something you know like Correct. well that's just that's just not good but cheaper paper or you know simpler design that makes sense so i do think that maybe some websites get too um get too fancy with too many moving pieces um but basically across the board if it's if it's simple um almost anyone can can connect with it but yeah it was an interesting yeah. discussion yeah i i love that that had not uh that had not occurred to me but of course that's an issue well maybe maybe you can run um some tests with like a real beautiful landing page and a real ugly one <laughs> and see how it goes we we did some work for the National Parkinson's Foundation, and the landing page that won all the tests was ugly. But boy, it was simple and clear. Well, and if you go through the um, you know, the Obama campaign, you know, that gets recycled all the yep. time for how much testing they did. But the end winning email, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's ugly. It's yeah. real ugly. <laughs> you know, it's got yeah. different fonts the- and like highlighted stuff and. Uh, yeah, with the subject line of "Hey," if I remember right. <laughs> yeah, I think they did like multivariate testing, you know, at the highest level for months and months, and ended up with like "Hey." <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> funny. Um, yeah. And that commitment to testing again—that's one thing that um, I really appreciate about you know you and your guys' work—is um, you know the only way you really know if an offer is a good offer is seeing if it works, you know, uh, you yep. can sit in a boardroom and come up with an offer, which is great. Uh, but it's really the donors who are going to dictate whether that thing's working or not. And, um, you know, that commitment to, um, to what works and that commitment to developing the offering process, like just have a lot of admiration and respect for you and your work and how you go about it. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks. And, and the, the sort of subtext of offers and testing is a, I think just super important for nonprofits to hear and bake into their thinking because like what you just said there, yeah, we can come up with an offer in the boardroom. But we have to see what donors like because ultimately if what we're trying to do is not aligned with what donors like and like to do, we are out of a job. <laughs> right. Right. We, we have a, we have a, a poster in our office that says you serve at the pleasure of your donors mm. uh, because ultimately it's really good to remember that, that um, they were, were tapping into their generosity about things that they care about. So the smart fundraiser is looking for what is it that I do that's most closely aligned with my current donors and potential donors. Yeah. What they like to do and what, what values they have and uh, that kind of stuff. And that's a really important uh, thing to sort of bake in to everything you're doing. So, Yeah, no, that, that's a good reminder. And, you know, that that comes up a lot as, you know, donors, the hero, or it's about the donor. And oftentimes it's about, say, customer service, which is definitely needs to be there or donor stewardship or some of these concepts. But I don't know if it's that mentality is applied enough to what you're talking about in the offer or what are we asking people to do? And you need to be asking them to do something in a clear way that they want to do. Because we've had that pushback, too, where we really maybe craft a good offer with uh, a matching gift and it's tangible and there's a price point and and some people, oh, it's too marketing-ish. You know, it's too, it's too fabricated. You go, well, 
you know, this is what this is what people will give to. And sure enough, you know, that campaign was the best campaign they've ever ran. Um, <laughs> and it's and it's not because we're trying to manipulate donors, although I guess to some degree we are. But it's more so just speaking their language, right, or tapping into the things that will motivate them to do what they want to do. Yeah, well, that's the that's the thing, and and I would my guess is you don't hold on to this tightly, but I push back against the word manipulate because I don't think you can manipulate a donor to give. <laughs> uh, I, I just don't, I don't think that's, I mean, maybe that's possible in a one-on-one um, or right. a few-on-one, but in the mail, she's just going to toss it. If you're annoying, you can't, it, it's, it's a translation thing. It's a tapping into her emotions and what she cares about. Yeah. Um, and if all she wants to do is feed uh, feed a guy and know that her gift does also some other stuff, great. Who am I to make a value judgment about that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that did come up one time I was speaking. Oh, well, it sounds like you're being very manipulative. And I don't think I answered it with as much class and clarity as you did. But I, I remember pushing back pretty hard on, on yeah, it's uh, it's not good to think about it as manipulation. And you can't do that. If you can, you've got some special some real special skills, <laughs> you know, to twist yeah. someone's arm through an email. Like, oh, I really don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> nah, I don't think that happens. I, I know. I think there's some magical thinking there. Uh, anyway, that, that would be, there's some emotional stuff that happens to fundraisers yeah. and fears <laughs> about asking for money yeah. that, that uh, there's another interesting thing to think about there, but yeah. Um, well, and that would be another whole, whole other podcast. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, yep. Hey, um, thank you so much for, for joining and taking some time. Uh, where can people learn more about, about you and your work, Stephen? Uh, well, first of all, uh, you're welcome, and, and thanks for having me on. Um, uh, before I even say that, I just want to uh, sort of compliment you, Brady, because I, I think the content, I think the work you're doing and the content that you're pushing out at uh, ReCharity is great. Uh, you have said a couple of things lately that affected my work. Uh, the one thing in particular being the, uh, the, the Pixar storytelling, mm. uh, thing that was, you know, a month and a half or two months ago. Mm. Uh, that was, that was a great resource. I was like, boom, I'm better now. And I really appreciate that. So thank you. Awesome. Um, I just steal stuff from smart people and put it on my blog. So you're welcome. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Hey man, that that's a legitimate strategy that yeah. I use. Um, it'd be interesting to go into storytelling if you want to, just because I've been thinking about that today. But uh, where where can people find me? Um, uh, betterfundraising.com is um, the company uh, that my business partner Jim Shapiro and I founded. You can find me on Twitter, where I am occasionally active uh, <laughs> at Steven Screen. Uh, those those are the those are the main places, but um, you know, I've been, I've been busy doing client work late lately, really for the past couple of years and haven't done enough creative work. And mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm about to take the next month and really dial back the creative work and do a bunch of content creation. So that is, that's literally like a week and a half from now. And oh, I'm wow. excited about uh, doing that. So if, if people are following our, our blog, uh, which you can find through betterfundraising.com, it used to be at askthankreportrepeat.com. Uh, but anyway, a bunch of good stuff is uh, coming out there and we're going to be creating a lot of content soon, which we're excited Great. about. Oh, awesome. Well, I look forward to uh, to catching it and um, I'm sure I'll steal it and repost it and, you know, claim it as my own. So there you go. <laughs> I, 
I, I would be honored for every part of that except the claiming as your own. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't actually I, claim as my own. I'll put it on my own devices and blog, but I'll definitely give you credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're too good a guy to be claiming that. Um, but, I mean, listen, there are the millions of nonprofits between our two countries. And the, the more the more we can be helping people uh, who haven't had the good fortune of uh, working with some of those grizzled ancients and what works and what doesn't work in fundraising, the, the, the better, right? Because it's just going to make yeah. our whole world a better place. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. Well, maybe we'll have you back and we'll talk storytelling uh, and more uh, ancient grizzled stories in the, in the future. I, I, would, uh, I would love that. I can't, I'm, I'm even going to plug the future episode that we haven't even decided to record yet <laughs> by, nice. by saying, by saying that I came up with this thing today that we're calling action-based storytelling or uh, storytelling for action. Ooh. Because, because I think so, so storytelling is a thing. It should be a thing. Uh, good fundraisers have been doing it for a long time. Uh, but we're not telling stories just to tell stories. There is an outcome you're trying to create every time. So are you telling the story in the right way to create the outcome that you want? Yeah. And so I'm thinking about that and sort of coming up with a way to some, some step-by-step instructions for how to do it in the main ways nonprofits tell stories. Oh yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's get that on your blog first of all, and then we'll have you back on and we can chat more about action-based storytelling. That sounds great. Done. I'd love to. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time, Stephen. Yep. Thank you, uh, Brady. Uh, Thanks for doing your work. I appreciate it. Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search the Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at next after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. It, Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kachuriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.